Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, beloved media podcast listeners. Oh, look, we've got some special intimate space, just you and I. I want to have a one-on-one meeting with you before the show starts this week. Uh, And that's because uh, we've run out of money. If you're like me and you're employed within this great media industry, then you'll know that we put a lot of work into this show. It's free to download. It isn't free to produce. Uh, The team book guests, write my script, pick out the most interesting stories of the week uh, and and manage to purloin for your pleasure. Great talks like Armando Iannucci the other week talking about the future of the BBC or Matt Kelly on the local press. That is what this show is all about and we want to keep going and keep it as strong as it currently is. Uh, And the media quiz, uh, just by itself, obviously involves weeks of research. So you understand, there's a lot of work involved and if we need to continue doing it, which I think you'll agree we need to, uh, then we're going to need your support. This week, we've set up a target. We want 300 of you to pledge to keep us on the road for another year. Uh, If you're listening to this and you can afford to give us some money, then don't ignore this message. I'm talking directly to you. If you visit themediapodcast.com slash dedicate right now and pledge your finances, uh, not only will you get a podcast every fortnight, uh, you'll also get to have a program dedicated to your honour. Imagine my voice reading your name. Uh, It's not only an amazing ego massage, it's also brilliant promotion for whichever company you work for, whether it's a Soho production house or whether you're a researcher at ITV. If you donated last year, we need your support again. If you've just found us this year, welcome aboard. If you want to keep the show going on, we'd love you to give us some change. Go to themediapodcast.com slash dedicate. Thank you. Uh, And now here's this week's show. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Ollie Mann. On today's show, we're taking in the sights and sounds of the Radio Festival 2015. Though, obviously, it's mostly the sounds. I'll speak to the presenters, producers and journalists that make your daily dose of good morning pop pickers, including breakfast broadcasters from Absolute, LBC and Radio 4. They'll all be on hand to discuss the gossip from this year's talking shop, including Paul Gambaccini's hellish year with Operation Utree, strategy Chief James Parnell's defence of the BBC and why trolls are people too. That's all coming up on this week's media podcast. Hello. 
Paddy O'Connell is hosting the Radio Festival this year, and he's with me now. We're in the green room. That's exciting, isn't it? It is, although it's the one place where the sandwiches aren't, and I think it's exactly the sort of problem. You have a green room, and you come off wanting a sandwich, and there isn't one because the sandwiches are where the sandwiches are. So really, we should be there, Ollie. See, you're a very polite and gentlemanly presence, but here you are actually using the media to complain to the bosses here. Yeah. You know, you've got the gig hosting the radio festival, but you haven't got your sandwiches. Yeah, no, I'm chuffed. And also, I mean, it's come to London. It has been held in Salford for the last million years. And you always fear, don't you, that you're going to look metropolitan and a boring London bunch of chatterers who only know to talk about the tube. So they've really tried with their schedule to make it look about listeners and about international people and covering the UK and using the archive and so on. So I think they've, they've got off to a great start. Yeah, um, the Radio Academy's had its problems over the last few years, which we've documented exhaustively in this podcast bit by bit. But what is the important role, in your view, of having a festival? It's quite old-fashioned in a way. We're talking about technology a lot. What's the point of having a festival, a conference, where people all get together in a room who work in the same industry? Well, if it's boring, none. I mean, and there's nothing worse than men, normally it is, who run radio programmes talking to other men who who run radio programmes. So a boring festival's got no point. But we know that all of us in life are loving live events. We go to more concerts. We go to more films. We like to get out more. They said it would be the death of cinema. So if radio can't hold an interesting live event, it might as well give up. And so I think the point is... A great festival is needed if it's interesting and live because that's how people swap ideas. So I have a problem with the Radio Academy as well. I'm hosting this for free because I care about the radio. But if uh, if I had to sit through another of their awards ceremony that lasted 8 million hours, at which I never won anything, I'd have pulled my eyes out. So, I mean, awards, shm awards, a great lively festival, yes please. And do you think that's changing then? Do you think the new Look Radio Academy Awards when we get them might be different as well to that black tie dinner that used to be held in the Grove? Well, I hate the awards. I used to ask my colleagues, please don't enter my programmes. I don't want to go in that room. I don't want to eat their dreadful food. I don't want to watch the smug winners. I don't want to watch the disappointed losers. I, uniquely in my room at work at Radio 4, I said, for God's sake, don't put anything of mine forward for a Radio Academy Award. And that usefully explains, Ollie, why I've never won one. Okay, well, one thing that this festival is good for, and I think this is indicated by the fact that the whole thing kicked off with a session on networking with Helen Bowden from BBC News, is networking. You've got people who work for all the different major radio groups, and I know there aren't as many as there used to be, community radio, uh, people who even work in hospital radio and podcasts and stuff, meeting the big cheeses at the BBC and at Global and everything else. What are your networking tips at these events, Paddy? Do you like to put yourself about the room, or do you think actually even that is a little bit... Uh, awkward at times. No, I think it's really important. I mean, already, I think the 17-year-old uh, pupil at the Brit School, Lauren, who spoke in a session, has probably done herself radio favours by just being so great at this conference. Christian O'Connell really switched people onto his style, and he had to, you know, had to take a real risk in doing a sort of stand-up turn. And also, John Holmes made a fabulous video that's is up there with anything I see Charlie Brooker do. So talent will always out. And I think if you're a young bursary student who's here, you should be hustling, you should be meeting the people. If I was 17, I'd have got the sandwiches in here. And I'm serious, because some of these people in here are very important, and there weren't any sandwiches in here. And I'm only speaking as someone who's done this myself at radio stations. Why don't the teenagers make tea? Why do they always want to be straight on the radio? Make a sodding cup of tea and take it to the man who runs... 
Ning Nong FM. It's going to do you good, but some of them are too grand for words. So I think there should be much more hustling, Ollie. Teenagers, people like me, I want more work. Yes, it should be a lively conference full of adults and interesting people trying to get things moving. Otherwise, don't hold it, don't come, don't pay. Very good point. The controller of Radio 1, Ben Cooper, is sitting in the corner of this room as we speak, tapping on his iPhone. No one's offered him a cup of tea. And also, I mean, I'm quite serious. There's three of the teenage helpers there, and I hope they listen to this podcast. Don't stuff your plate anymore. Go over there to Ben Cooper and shove something up his face. I mean, really, how obvious? I mean, what's happened to the teenagers? That's what I used to do. There are some sandwiches in the press room if you'd like me to go and get you some from there. Well, I'm going to go down the corner and buy them. There clearly aren't any sandwiches for us. No, I just think that there's been so much work done to make this conference, you know, work by a small amount of people that... It's, 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 they've had a huge result because they've put content at the heart of it. You know, they really have. So if you're associated as a, in a support function at the age of 17, you know, just do what you can. Paddy O'Connell there. And joining me today in the British Library is radio veteran <laughs> Trevor Dan. Thank you so much. Uh, the man who bans status quo from Radio 1. No, that's not true. You know that's not true. We've been through this many <laughs> times. No, we simply said that one tune they made in the 1990s did not fit in with Radio 1's music policy of the time. And would you still be making that decision in 2015, bearing in mind John Whittingdale is a massive quo fan? Well, if I was running Radio 1 now, I'd be having um, status quo specials and, and invi- <laughs> inviting witters in to take part in them. And these days, of course, you are an independent producer and also, indeed, a rival <laughs> podcaster because you present the Radio Today podcast. I don't Excellent think we show. are rivals at all. A complimentary. Think, uh, we're complimentary. We, I, I, I listen to yours as I, as I hope you listen to mine. <laughs> I'll look at yours if you look at mine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did enjoy the one this week with the, uh, the American. With Bean, yes. yes. Actually, that's two Probably weeks we, ago. Know. Do try to keep up. And joining Trevor is uh, my friend and yours. It's LBC's Lisa Aziz. Hello, Lisa. Hello, Ollie. Lovely to see you. Uh, now, you are fresh off the stage, having just spoken to Paul Gambaccini. And we'll talk about that in just a moment, but it would be unfair not to give you a plug. Uh, people can hear you if they set their alarms for what time? Stupid o'clock. But I'm on for, from 6.30 in the mornings, weekdays, Monday through Friday, just after the wonderful Steve Allen on LBC and ahead of the man that is Nick Ferrari at breakfast. So there you go. So you have a briefing in what Victoria Beckham is wearing and she shouldn't be, and then the news from you. She won't get a look in on my show. <laughs> uh, now, Lisa, you are fresh off the stage as we talk, having just interviewed Paul Gambaccini. Uh, tell us a bit about that session. Uh, and you obviously have a friendship with Paul that goes back a while you could tell that just from the way you were talking absolutely yes so we got to know each other probably uh, late 80s 87 88 when I first went to um, TVAM as a cub reporter sort of hired in that same week were Ulrika Johnson Lorraine Kelly and uh, we were quite a a newish team and for us when we had people like you know the great Gambo and professor of pop when Paul Gambaccini came into the, the the building at Egg Cup Towers famously in Camden goodness me we would literally bow he was he is so supremely knowledgeable and you just can't get away from that accent you know we always love that accent the sadness obviously is going in depth into his book under the yew tree his dreadful year having been arrested and bailed rebailed seven times and so in a way it was an honor to talk to him but at the same time sort of tinged with sadness about what he's been through um but it was a quite quite an eye-opener of a session to be honest you know he, he he makes lots of accusations about the press and certainly about some some of our sort of top legal uh, brains and, and and police officers in the country so it was 
an honour to hear the story firsthand, what he'd been through, and also how he would like things changed in the future, particularly around the issues of bail, rebail and anonymity with false accusers. Yeah, I mean, one of the points he made, Trevor, was that there's a distinction when uh, a member of the public accuses another member of public and when they accuse a celebrity which is an obvious point to make, but true, of course, which is that they can know the celebrity without the celebrity knowing them. And then there's the reaction from the industry itself. And he called a lot of his BBC producers good Germans, was good the phrase Germans, he used. Good Germans, which was a good phrase. I, 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 I thought how interesting it was that at occasions like this, we often, as the media, sit and congratulate ourselves about how great we are, because... You know, we uncover a ghastly goings-on in politics or in industry or whatever. And here was Paul turning a mirror uh, onto us and saying, do you know what, you guys weren't very helpful here to me. There were things you could have done, there were things you could maybe not have done, and like to be clear, taking talking me about, off air. Yeah, he's talking about yes. his employment. So exactly. not only did his Radio 2 work drop out, but he said Radio 4, 4 and the other stuff he did as all well. All the rest of, you know, the, the BBC, I'm sure, uh, you know, took legal advice and felt that they were doing the right thing, but there wasn't a lot of nurture there going on, you know, I, I, and, and I, I felt that, uh, you know, we were being, in, in Gambo's very polite way, quite rightly ticked off for that. And of course that's not a BBC issue, is it, Lisa? We both work for a commercial broadcaster, it'd probably be even more acute there, that if one of us was accused under Operation U-Tree... Oh, goodness me, when you're in, you're in, when you're out, you're out. I think a decision like that, certainly with a big personality, a really big name, it could only have come from the man or woman at the top, slash HR. So, when it comes, and you know, this is a very serious topic, which you didn't even have time to go into on stage just now, and you had 40 minutes and we've got three, (laughs) but when it comes to his calls of not naming people when they're accused of something as serious as rape and child molestation, if they're in the public eye especially. Where do you stand on that, Lisa? Because I know you will have reported news whereby you saying someone's name has led people to come forward and they have ended up being guilty. Now, as Gambo was pointing out, in celebrities' case, it seems most of them have turned out not to be guilty, but it does happen that then people go to prison for things that they did that they should be in prison for. I'll only say that I felt ticked off as well. Because what we did at the um, onset of the session and something I wanted to do in particular was take us back to the moment, uh, 1st of November, when his name was released. And we all jumped onto that bandwagon. I played excerpts of all our global brands, how Capital um, approached it, how LBC approached it, how Classic approached it. And his name was all over the airwaves. Because from my point of view, when a story like that drops on PA and a man like Paul Gambaccini is named... I'm as guilty as the rest of them. We jump on it because it's a massive name. And Trevor, you're a former uh, president or controller, what do they call it, of the Radio Academy? Important uh, in my day, I was the CEO. Big cheese, yeah, whatever. Uh, you used to run the Radio Academy at the time. Paul Gamachin used to present the Radio Academy Awards. Indeed. Um, this felt a little bit to me, much smaller occasion than these Radio Academy things used to be, this felt a bit to me like him being re-accepted by the industry somewhat awkwardly. I hope so. And, um, you know, he's down there as we speak, uh, selling copies of his book and doing a brisk trade, and I think that's a good thing. Uh, I think this could be an opportunity to say, by the way, just talking about the Radio Academy, this has been a good event. You know, I came along to this new, smaller radio festival thinking, do you know what, I've got my sceptical hat on. 
But actually, it's been it's rattled along at a terrific pace. We haven't had long, dull panels. It's 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 been a very good effort by Gloria and Roger and Chris and all the people who've uh, you know who've contributed to to rescuing what was an event that many of us thought had died. Yeah, well, a couple of things about that. Every radio festival, it seems to me, kicks off with everyone saying, "Let's celebrate radio. We're all great at radio." And actually, the mood in the room isn't necessarily reflective of that mantra. This year, it is a smaller event. It's definitely stripped back. There are 15 new commercial radio stations launching next year. And also, it seemed to me, there's an embrace of Spotify, Audio Boom, Beats One. Uh, these things which in the past would have been seen as, if they were covered at all, something you did in the adjacent room. I'm going to say, I don't want to sound like I'm excusing myself for past misdemeanours, but... I tried to get these things talked about when I was running the Radio Academy and the powers that be at the time, particularly from commercial radio, but also from the BBC, would say to me in no uncertain terms, no, we're not going to do all that stuff. This is about uh, explaining to the world outside how great broadcast radio is and we don't really want to touch podcasting and streaming and we certainly don't want to air our dirty linen in public by having the sort of discussions you would have about the media uh, that they do in Edinburgh about television and this year I think there's been a much more open acceptance that radio and audio and online and on demand that well it's all one industry and we should embrace it all. I think it's doing the same thing but for my children they listen to everything online so within my household I've seen things change from mum going over to turn on the radio to listen to my favourite things to what my kids are doing which is completely different. Well let's talk about some of your highlights then Trevor because you've been here for the whole day see most of the sessions. Uh, there was an emphasis on things like YouTube and how that's being incorporated into Radio 1. Uh, what was the thing you'd pick out as a, a highlight? Well I think the highlight of the day before Gambo was Zane Lowe now of Beats 1 and Ben Cooper, his former boss controller of Radio 1, having a hug. And I thought, you wouldn't have expected that. You know, a couple of years ago, if somebody leaves Radio 1 and goes to work for something that might be thought of as the opposition, that's it, untermensch, you know, not allowed in the building anymore. But there was Ben and Zane recognising that they are still in the same business. I thought it was very grown up, very mature. I thought what Zane had to say about the BBC was something that needed to be said in this current debate by somebody who's cool and, <laughs> and is recognised to be cool. So the fact that he thinks the BBC is a good thing, well, that was a, that was a great thing to have somebody with his reputation saying. And on that question of the BBC, our esteemed colleague, Lisa, uh, Nick Ferrari, was talking to James Pennell on stage about that. Is there now an appreciation across the industry, do you think, that everyone wants the BBC to survive, even if they work in commercial radio, even if they're in the government? No, I can't imagine a world without the BBC. I can certainly imagine a world where the licence fee and its funding is paid for differently, but we can't do without the BBC. And Pennell Trevor was saying that he seems to be open now to a, a sort of adult and proper, I think was the word he used, wasn't it? A proper conversation about that with the government, as opposed to a defensive, don't suggest they're going to cut anything else. I was quite interested in James Pennell's appearance with his slightly Old Testament-ish hipster beard. I've never thought it's of Corbyn, James... Corbyn, it's very in <laughs> It is. I've never thought of James as being particularly likeable, and maybe it's the comparison between him and Janet Street Porter, possibly the uh, most dislikable person I could imagine addressing the uh, radio festival. But she, I thought, she did go down very well in her favour. I don't she think came she on did. afterwards. No, she got a big round of applause. Well, from a, from a few, but there were a few others going down. Do we, do we need this sort of? Abuse? I mean, that abuse of um, 
Susan Ray, the Radio 4 newsreader, just because she doesn't like her Scottish accent. That was neither funny nor a really useful observation. It was just gratuitous abuse. And I'm, I'm very sorry we had her on. I thought she'd uh, brought it all down a bit. James, you know, he trod the BBC line, and we haven't had many sessions like that today, fortunately, where we've just heard the management speak. Um, but, I th- you know, I think he, he realises now that he's batting on, um, you know, quite a good wicket. Another session that stuck out to me was um, Jill Hines' tremendous analysis, talking about the importance of brands uh, in the radio world that we're in now. And it struck me, Trevor, that maybe this was her kind of explaining why, to many people's minds, the most boring proposition won when it comes to the DAB platform. You know, we're getting you know a lot of stations that are going to get listened to, absolute 80s, Return of Virgin, Talk Sport 2, Talk Business. It's not exactly exciting, it's, it's based around brands. Well, I think we have seen, haven't we, in the last 10 or 15 years, the arrival of the notion that local radio doesn't work in the commercial sector as well as syndicated radio, and that's because advertisers, and she said it, like to buy brands. And clearly it's much easier to sell TalkSport 2 and TalkSport 3 and TalkSport 4 or whatever they're going to be called, you know, those sub-brands, if you can say, uh, yes, we're selling you this national offer. That's what the new digital stations are being designed to do. But, you know, radio goes in at peaks and troughs and, um, you know, we heard a lot today, didn't we, about how playlisting isn't necessarily a very good way forward and how lots of young people prefer a broader range of music. Well, if you said that at a conference to radio professionals 15 years ago, you'd have been (laughs) stoned out of the building because that was not the prevailing idea of the time. Um, But, no, at the moment we're all into brands, national brands, that's what the advertisers want. I suspect eventually it'll settle down and we'll have some new ideas. There is something that happened in our um, office, our Capital Radio office last week. We had the start of Radio X with Chris Moyles and Johnny Vaughan and Vernon Kay. And I'd never witnessed, having done nine months uh, in radio straight from uni and uh, then gone straight into TV, it was, it was the first time I'd seen the birth of a brand. And I found it really fascinating and could have a really close look because they're on our floor, they're on our LBC floor. So the build-up to this branding and the colour of the studio and the choosing of the X and the, the green and, and um, uh, launch day and in the press and on the big billboard in Leicester Square. And I found the whole thing absolutely fascinating but at first thought when somebody said oh we're getting a new radio station it's called radio x i thought my god we haven't got we haven't got any room for any more well you know we are serving all sorts of uh, tastes surely you know from the classic to the capital to the heart to the to the gold to the lbc to talk surely there is no more room i have got it on my car radio logged on radio x and i'll tell you why because it shouldn't be because it's all blokes on there because they are blokes and they are older. I think it's fair to say you weren't the target demographic. When no, they I know, and proposal. it's a bit indie rock. Do you know what? It's all to do with the music they play. I know all the tunes and I know all the words. <laughs> <laughs> and now I love it. And That's I'm a complete definitely not the proposition they wanted, but was I it? I saw that branding. Um, the Kings of Leon fan, Lisa, is love Kings of Leon. Yeah. Bit of classic strokes. Bit of nickelback. <laughs> I'm not sure they do nickelback. <laughs> but Chris Moyles, and that's an interesting point. There was a montage at the beginning of the festival, Trevor. I'm not sure who it had been put together by, but someone at the Radio Academy, of all the highlights of the year. And it started with Chris Moyles' opening remarks on Radio X last week. Obviously, that's fresh in the memory. 
It is a quite landmark event, though, isn't it? Do you think, actually, when you look back on the year, that's the biggest event of the year, Chris Moores and Radio X? Yes, I think it is, because it's the birth of another national brand. You know, XFM had a lot of coverage, but Radio X is bigger. The power of global radio is behind it. They've spent an enormous amount of money doing something that they tell us doesn't work on a lot of other stations, which is spending big money on content and presenters. So I think it is a big story. I was rather disappointed that a radio festival like this doesn't have people from Global, you know, the people who invented that brand, talking about it. And Lisa, has Chris Moore's invaded your studio yet? Uh, no, I think it's more a case of us invading uh, his, because he always seems to have a line of fans right outside the studio door. And I joined, I joined that line the other day. <laughs> Because I was beyond excited. It, I, I, wonder, I peer through the window I with my wonder, orange. I'm not, not putting any conspiracy out there, I have any knowledge about this. I just wonder if your studio is allowed on his wheel of, of crashing studio. Oh, it's on the wheel. It's on is the, it allowed to I just, stop there? I can't imagine <laughs> him crashing Lisa Aziz's new studio in the same way he can crash Listen Emma Bunton. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm with Amy Keane from Havas Media Labs, and you've just been talking about disruptive technology. You were the second person this morning to be talking about that. And you were showing some data that said, I think it was it, was it 25% of people would be willing to be a, a droid? <laughs> Yes, uh, 25% of young people, so 18 to 34s, would be a cyborg um, if they had the option. Which means they'd be sort of matrix-like, constantly connected to information. Well, essentially they'd have a piece of technology implanted into their brain which made them faster and more efficient and have a bigger memory capacity. And I do have to point out that it's more men that would like to be a cyborg than women. And what's the advertising benefit that people would see in the radio industry if they put a little bit more of that innovation in place, do you think? Working in media, people are always really obsessed, advertisers are always really obsessed with the new, which is why everyone's so obsessed with social media, everyone's obsessed with virtual reality. Radio is a bloody effective type of advertising, but it's a bit boring because it hasn't changed over the last 20, 30, 40 years. So what we need to see 
it's just a bit of innovation within radio advertising to keep advertisers excited because radio will always be on plans because it's effective but it won't very rarely will it be at the centre I, I mean I know and a lot of people listening to this will know anecdotally that when you hear a sponsored message it is more effective it's more resonant with you it's more intimate than when you watch it on the TV but is there data to back that up? You know, everyone in this room wants to know what they can say to advertisers to persuade them to give them more money. There absolutely is. There's a type of measurement in advertising called econometrics. Um, econometrics is very costly, but it proves down to the second um, for any campaign exactly what media drove what response. Retailers do it a lot because they need to be driving sales constantly. What we found for a number of our retail brands that have us is radio is the single biggest driver of sales because it's all always on, it hammers the frequency, so it's, you know, messages all the time, relatively cost effective as well, and it's kind of reaching people when they're in quite an open state of mind, so it's very effective. I'm with Christian O'Connell from Absolute Radio. Hello. Uh, You've just given a very entertaining talk about complaints mostly, and it's based around, I'm guessing, because there was a lot of quite polished comedy in there, your Edinburgh stand-up show. Ian Lee is another one who's now gone on the road and starting to do stand-up. When you're doing your radio show, are you thinking about an audience and when they might laugh in the same way? Yes, I do. And uh, sometimes I might do something on the radio and I might think, actually, I might better play with that and stand-up. When I first went back to Edinburgh three years ago, Josh Widdicombe said, why are you going to stand-up? Every other stand-up is going the opposite way. They want to do what you're doing. Why would you put everything on the line? I said, but that's what makes it exciting. I've been in radio so long. I wanted something which was a struggle that I could, that I'd have to work. And it actually made my delivery on the radio so much better. Because sometimes in the morning, when you've got four hours to fill, you can get a bit sluggish with the delivery. Because I'd not only rush them here for four hours. Suddenly on stage, I've been doing material, and I could see them shifting a bit like, yeah, get on with it, we get it. You know, you're oversetting stuff up, which you have to do on the radio sometimes because you're in the background. And so it, 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 was, it was a really exciting era. But, yeah, sometimes I am thinking I could try and play with that. I started off just doing material. I thought, oh, if you're a stand-up, you need to do stuff like that. And they laughed. I could see it just felt a bit hackish, like I, I need to do something else. Otherwise, I'm going to get bored with this. And so that's why I wanted to do it this year because I, I generally felt like I had something to say about it. This is about hopefully taking people into that world of doing a breakfast show. And at first we were like, you know, you're going to tell stories about interviewing stars. We went, no, that's not the most interesting stuff about what I do. It's the complaints. And it's not just about complaints on radio. It's how, we're all, how we all are now, complainers and whiners, and, and how that's affecting freedom of speech. So two things about that. One thing is you, you talked a bit about the regulatory framework around complaints, so let's touch on that in a second. But firstly, in a, in a more kind of primal way, because I get this as well when I'm on LBC, do you think the people that are writing to you in real time, complaining about what you're saying, are actually aware that you're reading it on a screen in front of you? Uh, do you know what? I, I, I think, Ollie, there are some people who almost have this capacity to be professionally offended. I think there's an addictive glee about outrage and fake and phony outrage. There is. You know, who can get that upset about... So- there is so much to be genuinely annoyed about in this country that's wrong, but they're not putting their energy into that. That anger energy is about something that's always misplaced. You know, that's why they're funnier to me, those real angry nut jobs. That's far richer material for me. Uh, like, I remember their names. Mr. Kendall, that guy's Twitter out. I couldn't tell you a name if anyone's written me a nice letter, which I get loads of. That, you know, goes in one ear and out the other as it should do, but the complaints really stay with me. Sometimes they really hurt you as well, even though you know that guy's an idiot. But it's that dark But they probably don't think you'd see it. That's what I mean. I always reply to them. I never have a go at them. I say, hey, look, you know, life's too short. I'm not for everybody. I totally get that. I hope it hasn't ruined your morning, and I hope maybe you could tune into the station when I finish at 10. Every single one of them is always stunned. I'm really sorry. I didn't think you were going to get that. 
I'm so embarrassed. I was just having a bad day. Yeah, they're, they're stunned. They, you know what? They're just, they're just sounding off. They want that thing of being heard. It's like talking to my wife. They don't want you to fix it. <laughs> I just want you to listen. But they're, they're always stunned. Some of them go, you weren't meant to read. They went, you've emailed me. Christian, that's my email address. Who do you think was going to read it? Some drone. I take all the feedback in, which I think it's, it keeps you grounded. So, in terms of regulation then, you were saying this isn't a mission statement against Ofcom. You don't want them to be any more severe than they are at the moment against people who are complaining. But you would like it that if a complaint is quashed, not upheld that people have to pay a financial penalty if yes. they complain about something that is not legitimate yep I totally agree with that um, it's just that it's too easy for people to complain now and it only takes one oversensitive moron to make my life uh, misery quite frankly and you were like what if they can upheld it it's got that could be fined I could lose my livelihood and it's never something like, I can't believe he said this about that race or creed I would never do that it's never about that it is just like I said today some guy saying that I, he thought he heard me shouting great Lucifer out loud three times you know that person you should be saying okay we're going to investigate this uh, but if you lose you have to pay Christian O'Connell 500 pounds he's going to weigh that up and that nut job's probably nine times out of ten going to go no no I'll leave it so, yeah, I, I, I genuinely mean that. The final thing on this, interactivity, it does actually boost the feeling of a live oh. show, doesn't it? If we didn't have Twitter, if we didn't have text, the shows would be worse, wouldn't they? Yeah, and actually, I get funnier interaction on Twitter than on text. I get more text, four or five hundred a show, but I get the funnier ones on Twitter because they like that intimacy. There's something special they know. I, I'm the, I get some of the stuff he sends later on about his stuff, and I think that's really powerful. I love the interaction. So you can't have that piecemeal. You have to have it all. And that, I think that's really important. You need it, that light and shade, and I think it's healthy as well. It stops you. My job, you imagine, you're like a king of your own island. Oh, I'm going to talk about what I want today. You need some people keeping you on the ground going, shut up, you're an idiot. I think that's really healthy. If I didn't have that, I'd be a monster. Okay, well, I'm going to keep you on the ground and say you should go to bed because you've been up <laughs> since four in the morning. All right, thank you very much, Charlie. I'm a big fan of the podcast as well. You do a great job. Still with me, Trevor Dan and Lisa Aziz. It is time for our media quiz. Uh, this week it is entitled On This Day in History. Uh, with apologies to Simon Mayo, uh, if there's one thing radio loves, it's a temporal hook. A timely event to guide listeners seamlessly into the same thing they heard this time last year. I'll give you the subject, you tell me what anniversary they're celebrating. Best of three. Uh, you buzz in with your name. Uh, Lisa, as I said, I know you're a bit tired, so do you want to practice that? Lisa. There we go, perfect. Trevor, I know you're an old pro. The winner gets an Emmy, the loser gets privatised. Question number one. BBC London, 94.9. But what's the anniversary? Buzzing with your name. Oh, Trevor, it's the 40th anniversary of the original BBC Radio London. From any other contestant, that would be an exceptional answer. But as you used to run the place, I think that's piss poor. It's 45 years, Trevor. (laughs) 45 years. Because LBC had their 40th, didn't they? Indeed, yes. Last year or year before, yeah. Uh, 45 years since the launch of BBC Radio London, the first local station. Uh, But the big news story here, Trevor, of course, is being rebranded to its original name. Indeed so. And I've just interviewed David Roby, its manager, uh, about why they've done that. And he reminded me that one of the reasons they couldn't do it earlier because apparently they had wanted to was because they didn't own the words Radio London no they had lost the words Radio London to another business which was dedicated to recalling Pirate Radio London and Radio Caroline 
but they have managed to get it back because that company has not been using it for broadcasting purposes. Interesting. Now, they've come out and they've said there's much clearer definition of what we are. We are Radio London. The, the reason it was all BBC London was because it was supposed to be multi-platform. Yeah, there's this whole business about you see Vanessa Feltz on your local TV news saying this is what I've been talking about later. I mean, it's easy to say in hindsight, isn't it? But I thought that was quite clever, actually. Uh, should it be called Radio London, do you think, Lisa? I think Radio London's easier. I like it. Do you? Quite jealous about it, yeah. yeah. Everybody calls it Radio London. Radio London, yeah. I believe they do. Uh, I mean, even when I was running it, it was GLR. You always had to say, uh, GLR, what used to be Radio London? <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, here's question number two. ITN, what anniversary? Buzzing with your name. Lisa, 50th. But <laughs> you're just guessing numbers now. 60. Uh, yes, it was 60, yes. Well done with your second I had a big party and uh, I wasn't I'm, invited. I'm, you were invited. No, I wasn't invited. You weren't invited. No, some some bitterness stuck. about that, Lisa? Yeah, too right. It is 60 years of independent television news. Uh, Lisa, d- despite your uh, mixed feelings about their party and celebration, perhaps you'd like to share some stories of a happier time when you worked there. Yeah, I was at ITV for about uh, five years. I was assistant editor, news editor, and had my own show uh, in the West Country. And it was absolutely fab- uh, fan- a fantastic time for me. Lovely sort of West Country living, because I was um, born in Totnes and my mum's from Dartmouth. So for me, it was sort of um, after 13 years at Sky. Um, I have worked for a lot of Australians, and I, I enjoy that, but it's very fast-paced, and they're, they're hard taskmasters. But it was lovely to go back country, if you like, and, and have my own show, and I thoroughly, I thoroughly enjoyed that time. And uh, we, we like to think we put out a fantastic programme for our local communities and covered sort of every spectrum of what was happening in their daily lives. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Also at that time, ITV had a news channel, didn't they? Which is gone. They did, yeah, and that didn't last long, yeah, because my one of my co-presenters came from there, yeah. What do you think about that decision, Trevor? Because that, that seems like a slightly backwards thing. I mean, obviously, it must have cost a lot of money to, to run, and I guess they just didn't want to rival Sky and the BBC. Well, I think it's all about shareholder value, Ollie, isn't it? And I don't think it made any money. OK, here's question number three. Radio X, what's the anniversary? Lisa, one week? Yeah, ten days. Mathematically, oh. this has really been terrible. What but I'll, is it, I'll, <laughs> this is this is what you feel like when you wake up at three o'clock in the morning to do a radio show. So, so hang on a minute. She says a week, and it's actually ten days, yeah. and she gets the point. Yeah. And I say forty years, and, and it should be forty-five, and I get no point. That's right. Yeah, well, yeah, that is right. Yeah, well done, Lisa. She, she did work in both buildings. Yeah, well, you know, I work with Ollie, so yeah. <laughs> she did yeah. work in both buildings, yeah. ITN and Radio X, but she didn't run the place, so that is why. Worked in London for two years. I enjoyed my time there. Yeah, except I couldn't figure out the figure out the techniques. It was uh, all way too difficult. Well, congratulations on winning the quiz on your Hooray. debut appearance on the media podcast, Lisa. <laughs> but well done, Trevor. Anyway, for your for your <laughs> other contributions. Yeah, I sound like Nicholas Parsons now. <laughs> uh, that is it for today. My thanks to Trevor Dan and to Lisa Aziz. Uh, and remember, if you want to support the show, keep us going fortnight in, fortnight out, and have a future edition dedicated to you. Just head to themediapodcast.com/dedicate. I've been Ollie Mann. The producer is Matt Hill. The media podcast is a PPM production. Bye-bye.